Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Questions and Answers on this Saturday evening. I'm Khawa Sonaman. Shukran so much for joining us. And uh, all those listening to us across the lands and over the seas, yes, you are tuned to www.vocfm.co.za. Please do note that you can download this show and like any of our shows on iono.fm. If you've missed it, um, you can uh, register and save it, and you can then listen to it whenever you can, even if it's at midnight. We welcome back uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Moos, once again, the resident imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid out in Weinberg. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, sister Hawa, and to all the listeners of The Voice of the Cape. All right, we've got lots of SMSs to deal with, and it, as we've mentioned in our previous programs, it is backlogged. So we are still in the backlog of questions, but we do appreciate you sending your questions and, and being patient with having it answered on our SMS. SMS line 47913. It will be answered soonest um, as the others are um, answered as it follows. And inshallah, we uh, we will get to your question as well. So, Sheikh, let's uh, dig right into the question. The first one is, Assalamu alaikum. Which careers are best suited for Muslimas? Um, that is Muslim women. Shukran, Sheikh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Uh, the careers that should be chosen by Muslim women uh, is obviously careers that is beneficial to the community and that is for the upliftment of society. Uh, there is no special sort of uh, restrictions or privileges for certain careers above others. Uh, however, the uh, sort of general guidelines would be that a woman should take a career that, that suits her nature, that suits her abilities, that suits her stature as, uh, as a, a Muslim woman. So she shouldn't take up careers that is going to uh, degrade her or that is going to put her in a position where she is going to uh, have to sacrifice her values as a Muslim. Okay, uh, those are some of the general sort of things that needs to be uh, considered. Uh, but over and beyond that, I think the best guidelines to give is that a person should always choose a career that uh, will best serve the community and that will best serve the interest of oneself, of course, because you, you, you take a career in order to sustain yourself, in order to live, to earn a halal income, and that's very important. Uh, but also at the same time, uh, to uh, to to see how you can uh, uplift society in whatever way you can. So there's no specific restrictions on these things, uh, as long as it is not a career that is going to put you in a position where you are going to have to sacrifice or compromise on your uh, beliefs or on your Islamic values uh, and stuff like that. So as long as that does not happen, there is no uh, particular thing uh, that is required. Uh, but what I would say is, uh, we find very often in certain c- careers there is a lack of Muslim women in certain career paths where we actually need women to be part of that particular uh, 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 that particular fraternity uh, and one of the uh, things that comes to mind and I, I've spoken uh, about this uh, to, to some people is that they are for example just as one example there are very few women gynecologists for example and this is a very sort of sensitive and pertinent issue pertaining to women and very often uh, we find that women themselves uh, they are more comfortable to go to a woman, first of all, for these kinds of issues. And secondly, if it is a, a Muslim, then obviously they feel more comfortable to speak to a fellow Muslim doctor because they understand best how uh, our, some of our issues work with regards to Haid and Nifas and all these kinds of things. Um, so uh, I would uh, say that this kind of thing is obviously going to be encouraged and uh, that will be of a great service to our communities if women go into that particular career uh, over and beyond that. 
that anything is good as long as it is uh, serving one's uh, interest and the interest of the community and also uh, not uh, jeopardizing one's status as a Muslim. Shukran, Sheikh. All right, the next question is Salam. Sheikh, please um, ask Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss, can a man be mahram for his sister-in-law? No, a man cannot be a, a mahram for his sister-in-law um, simply because the uh, fact that obviously uh, when he is married to uh, his wife, so his wife's sister is haram upon him in the sense that he cannot get married to her uh, uh, while he is married to his wife because you cannot get married to two sisters at the same time. And this is obviously clearly spelled out uh, for us in uh, Surah uh, An-Nisa, that is the end of uh, the fourth juz, the very last ayah in the fourth juz, where Allah Ta'ala s- s- spells out to us who are those women that we are not allowed to get married to. And one of those categories of women, Allah says, bayna to actually marry two sisters at the same time. So from that angle, obviously it is haram for me to marry my sister-in-law. But that does not necessarily mean that I can become her mahram. And the reason for that is, if you look at this relationship, you'll find that it's a temporary sort of uh, prohibition or a temporary prevention. In other words, if I were to uh, separate from my wife or or my wife uh, leaves this world or she she passes on, uh, in that case, I am allowed to marry her sister afterwards. So because uh, because she is potential marriage material, uh, obviously there cannot be a a relationship uh, of mahram between the two unlike one's mother unlike one's sister for example unlike one's aunt one's uh, daughter etc those are permanent relationships that never change whereas the relationship between one and one sister-in-law it changes it could potentially change so although we cannot get married to them while we are married to their sister uh, that does not mean that we can be a mahram to them so uh, uh, we can't travel with our sister-in-law for example uh, fulfilling that position of mahram for example that would not be sufficient, she will obviously have to have a mahram from her own family side, from her brothers, her uncles, uh, uh, like that. Yes. Shukran, Sheikh. Salam, my husband is rude, disrespectful. He once told me he don't want to sleep with me since he hasn't for plus minus three years and I haven't even asked him about it. What am I to do, Sheikh? Well, I think you've uh, alluded to the answer yourself. You say you haven't asked him about it. I think that is a big flaw in your communication with him and in your marriage. Uh, Like I said many times before, uh, we cannot solve anything unless we communicate and we talk with each other. Okay, So you need to obviously sit down with your husband and it's obviously not uh, healthy and it's not good uh, for any relationship that there isn't that communication first of all and secondly that there is no uh, relationship. And in this case you are saying you haven't been intimate for three to four years which is also not something which is uh, which is healthy or which is uh, conducive for, for a marriage. So the starting point would really be to sit down with him and actually find out what exactly is it that's driving him towards this. Why why is he acting rudely and abruptly? Or is there maybe a problem that he sees in you? Is there maybe issues with your family? Is this maybe anything that is bothering him? It's very important that we speak about these basic things before we can even think of a solution. So that is what I would suggest would be the first step to actually sit with him. Uh, and if, let's say, you cannot come to an amicable agreement or understanding or you end up fighting again or you end up uh, having a situation where it's like a, a dead end, 
then I suggest the next step would be obviously to get a third party in and actually sit as an arbitrator or just a, a middle person to listen to both of you. And preferably a person who knows, who, who's got knowledge about uh, Islam and the laws of nikah and talaq and, and nafaqa and all these things, so that at least this person will be able to listen to both sides. And uh, because clearly, I mean, the relationship has now for three, four years already dwindled. I mean, there is already lots of issues that needs to be uh, worked around. So, so that is what you should do, and uh, inshallah, hopefully, hopefully, from those kinds of meetings, there will come some kind of uh, understanding and uh, some kind of amicable solution to uh, to your problem that you have. Let's take our first uh, break in this uh, segment of questions and answers. So, stay tuned. We'll come back with more of your questions just after this. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Questions and Answer Forum, where we take your questions and Sheikh Ibrahim Mu'as gives us a detailed answer to your questions. Alhamdulillah. This day, um, we do note that we have Maghrib um, still in our show, so it, our, our show is cut a little bit short, so once again, we're able to, uh, only able to deal with a certain amount of questions, so we'll try and get through, through them as quickly as possible, and uh, Sheikh will uh, read them, at least answer them in the appropriate manner as well. So let's continue with our SMSs. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh and Khawa. Is there a dua I can recite for contentment and happiness? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, there's obviously a number of uh, prophetic ad'iya uh, or du'as that were prescribed to us by our Prophet sallallahu uh, alaihi Some of them are more general, but it includes uh, what you are asking. Um, so I'll just share perhaps two of those du'as with you, and perhaps I'll also try to make them available for uh, for them for the for the radio station to actually send to you uh, via email. Uh, the first du'a is what the Prophet sallallahu had taught us when he said, "Allahumma inni as'aluka al-huda wa wal-'afafa wal-ghina." And this is really a very comprehensive dua, short but really comprehensive. And in this dua we say, Oh Allah, I ask you for guidance. I ask you for consciousness and taqwa. I ask you for self-sufficiency. And oh Allah, I ask you ghina. Ghina here means literally wealth, but not only physical wealth. Because the Prophet ﷺ had also explained that wealth is not only to be judged what you have materially. Wealth is also to be judged in terms of what your state of being is like. Right? A person can have material things, but that does not mean he's happy. So when the Prophet ﷺ says, Oh Allah, I ask you for guidance, I ask you for taqwa, I ask you for self-sufficiency, and I also ask you for wealth. Wealth is a very broad term here. It means physical, material wealth, yes. But it also means give me a healthy, uh, uh, rather give me a stable state of mind and a stable state of heart. That is also wealth. Happiness, contentment, all of that stems from that particular word, al-ghina. And then there's another dua which I, slightly longer than that one, but it's also a beautiful dua which kind of uh, encapsulates what a person would like to have in this, in this world and the year after and stuff like that. Uh, also prophetic dua, uh, both authentic, uh, authenticated in the ahadith. The Prophet ﷺ said that uh, to make the following dua is very good, where you say, Allahumma aslih li deeni. الذي هو عصمة أمري Oh Allah, always put my deen that I have, the deen of Islam always put it, uh, make it good for me so that I am able to protect myself with it 
وأصلح لي دنياني دنيايا التي فيها معاشي and Allah make my dunya good for me so that I am able to live in this world in a comfortable manner وأصلح لي آخرتي التي فيها معادي and Allah make good for me my year after so because that will be the, the place that I will return to وَجَعَلِ الْحَيَاةَ زِيَادَةً لَنَا فِي كُلِّ خَيْرٍ you know, Allah make that this world must be always an increase in everything that is good for us وَجَعَلِ الْمَوْتَ رَاحَةً لَنَا مِنْ كُلِّ شَرٍ and Allah if, if, if death uh, takes us it must be that death is going to relieve us from all the evil and the difficulties of this world and it's a very comprehensive beautiful dua where you're asking goodness in this world in the year after and all of that obviously happiness contentment whatever you want of this dunya that is good is also inclusive in those two duas and i do believe all the prophetic uh, duas that were prescribed to us they have a certain baraka and a certain spirituality that that is with it because they were uttered by the prophet and they were taught by the best of humans and the best of uh, people that were knowledgeable about how to approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those are two uh, uh, two duas which we will make available insha'Allah. Shukran, Shaykh. Assalamu alaikum. Must a pensioner and a person who receives a grant also pay for fitra? Shukran, Shaykh. Yeah, generally speaking, uh, the issue of fitra, it, uh, zakatul fitr at the end of Ramadan, it's obviously compulsory on any person who has uh, more than enough to survive for the day of Eid for himself. In other words, he's got whatever he needs to have in food and clothing and so on for the day of Eid, and he's got something over and beyond that. So if you've got something over and beyond that, then obviously you must give fitra to uh, the poor and the needy. And of course, we know the fitra is a very small amount that, uh, to be given. I think the amount that this year stood at about uh, 30 rand or 33 rand according to some. And this is a very small amount that must be given, obviously, for the poor and the needy as a minimal kind of gesture uh, to at least see to others as well uh, to enjoy the day of Eid. So that goes for anybody. So it doesn't have to be somebody that is really wealthy that must pay fitra. But if you have uh, enough for that day of Eid, uh, to survive and you have enough food and you have something to wear and you've got some money over and beyond that then you must give fitra you are eligible to give fitra even if you're a pensioner even if you take a grant but you have that extra money obviously if you don't have absolutely nothing extra let's say all your money that you have goes into your rental and into your food and whatever and you don't have anything extra left over that you can spare then in such a case you are not eligible to pay but in fact you are eligible to receive fitra perhaps if you're in a state of, of need. Shukran. Um, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I have two children from a previous relationship and one from my current marriage. If I should die without a will, what is the rights of my two children from the previous relationship? Shukran. I am a female and have contributed to the household. Yeah, in terms of, uh, just very quickly, in terms of your, your children, in terms of your, your will or your estate, uh, there is no doubt that uh, your children will always inherit from you, no matter what happens, okay? And no matter if they are children from uh, one husband or whether they are children from two separate husbands, mm. okay? The children will always inherit. They will never be uh, screened or barred from inheritance. Uh, what is important here is, of course, that you say you don't have a will, okay? And that is... Uh, that is not uh, advisable. You should try to draw up a will, obviously. This is every Muslim's duty and responsibility to see that at least they are able to uh, draw up a will and, and, and secure whatever needs to go to their heirs 
etc., etc. Now, as far as the other part of the question goes, and that is the issue of contributing to the household, uh, here obviously you need to, uh, we need to have like more details. What do you mean by contributing to the household? Does this mean you also paid for the food and the rent and the etc.? Or does it mean that actually part of the house is yours? Okay, and this is where we obviously need to ascertain what is your estate first of all, right? How do we define your estate? So whatever we define your estate to be, that will obviously go to your heirs, and amongst the people that will always inherit, no matter what the situation is, is your children. Your children can never be screened from your inheritance. Uh, and so what I do advise is that you consult with someone that has uh, knowledge about this, right? Uh, especially the knowledge of inheritance as well as how our South African law works with regards to this. Uh, and most of our institutions offer that kind of uh, service. So uh, do consult with them so that you draw up a will as soon as you can uh, so that at least you know you are securing that for your children when you one day leave this world, at least they will be secured to their right and to the haq that is due to them in terms of, of the inheritance. I think we'll leave that uh, question there for now, Sheikh. After the break, let's continue with our SMSs uh, just after this. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to our third segment of question and answers. Uh, please stay with us for the next 15 minutes or so. Maghrib Adhan takes place at 18.39 tonight. Um, but we are taking your SMSs on 47913. And we once again urge you to be patient when sending those SMSs as it won't be dealt with in this show, but in the following shows to come, inshallah. Salam Imam. My name is Umad. I am planning to have a second wife. So could you please give some advice? Shukran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, of course, the first advice that I would be giving you, uh, brother, who wants to get a second wife, is you first need to make istikhara. You, know, you need to appeal to Allah to open your heart and to allow you to make the right decision because this will be obviously a big sort of step uh, or responsibility in your life if you're planning to take a second wife. Um, so that is very important. You need to know that you are sure that this is what you want to do. It must not be because someone else is doing it or you think it's fashionable or you think whatever. It must be something that you uh, know that you want to go into and take full responsibility of that particular uh, situation. Because uh, as we, it, it goes without saying that taking a second wife is a huge responsibility. It's going to mean that you are going to have to share your time. You have to, uh, have to share your resources that you have. You have to give equal haq and right to both wives, etc. So the first thing I say is make istikhara, ask Allah Ta'ala to guide you so that uh, you know you are making the right decision. Okay. The second thing that you need to do is obviously you need to speak with your first wife about it. And inform her well before that this is what you are planning to do. Right, and obviously it, it's not going to be an easy thing. It's never an easy, easy thing to to break this kind of uh, to broach this kind of subject. So you need to speak to your second wife and kind of not necessarily get her permission to do so, because I mean that will never happen. Speak to the first wife. Uh, sorry, the first wife, yeah. because the, the permission obviously will be something which is uh, uh, practically not going to happen. Mm. Uh, but at least uh, have the decency to speak to her about it, mm. because of course Islam allows you to have a second wife if you are able to. And here I just want to remind you as well that uh, if you study the Quranic verse uh, clearly uh, and carefully, it tells us that you must marry فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا فَوَاحِدَةً And this appears at the beginning of chapter 4 of the Quran. If you fear that you cannot do justice between uh, more than one wife, then Allah instructs you to only have one wife. فَوَاحِدَةً It's not a matter of just taking a wife and doing as you please. Hmm. You know, you must have absolute justice between the two of them. 
absolute fairness. And I've mentioned many times before that a person who does not have fairness and equality between his wives and he deliberately neglects one uh, at the expense of the other, etc., this person, he will be in a very, very uh, difficult uh, position on the Day of Judgment. Mm. Hadith says he will meet Allah and one side of his face will be skew. Yeah. For example, we mentioned these ahadith before. So what I want to say to you is, uh, inshallah, if you feel you've made istikhara and you still feel strongly about it, the second thing is obviously then to speak to your first wife and at least make her understand why you want to do it. Okay, why you feel there's a need that you need to take another wife and try to make her understand that the, the reasons that you are giving are reasons that are uh, legitimate and that uh, is uh, sanctioned you know, by our deen, etc. That is the, the morally correct thing to do. Um, unlike what people do today, they just get married and the wife just find out like later, mm. sometimes years later. Sometimes they even find out later that uh, this person's got other children as well uh, from other wives. I mean, this is not Islamically, this is not uh, morally correct. Right? We shouldn't do that because this causes uh, further problems in our marriages, etc. So that is, uh, there's m- much more we can say, but that is basically just some nasiha. But if there's more specific things that you are requiring or requesting, then I urge you to obviously be more specific in what exactly you, you need to, uh, to know mm. with taking a, a second wife. Shukran. Um, assalamu alaikum. I was married for two months. My mother interfered in our marriage. Did not cut umbilical cord. Now separate from now separated from my husband. That's all. Yeah, I don't understand so clearly the part so of I'm not, not cutting. I'm not sure if they were divorced. Yeah, or cutting the umbilical sep- cord. I mean, I okay, so it's it's more that um, the mother uh, the mother of the daughter. That's what I say. I'm thinking because um, she says she's separated from her husband. So um, the daughter, in fact, was took ve- was very close with the mother. So when they say not cut umbilical cord means that the mother is still emotionally, physically, mentally, mm. um, everything is the mother is involved even in, in, the, in, the, in her daughter, but also in the relationship. Mm. So there isn't this division between okay. another life. Okay. So yeah, of course, the interference of parents in the marriage of their children um, this is something that uh, is not obviously uh, sanctioned in Islam. You know, we shouldn't interfere. Parents shouldn't interfere in the relationships of uh, their children. Okay, many times children are able to sort out their things by themselves, mm-hmm. right? But it's because of outside interference that very often things become more complicated, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the one verse that, that comes to mind in this regard is a verse uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, verse 232 where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَلَا تَعْضُلُوهُنَّ أَنْ يَنْكِحْنَ أَزْوَاجَهُنَّ إِذَا تَرَاضُوا بَيْنَهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ And although this verse is not uh, directly related but it has some relevance to our discussion here and that is where Allah ta'ala says and Allah here is addressing the parents hmm. or the guardians of their children Allah says to them فَلَا تَعْضُلُوهُنَّ Do not prevent your daughters who is under your care to get married to their husbands. If they themselves, amongst themselves, had come to some agreement and understanding. Don't you tell them not to do that. Hmm. Okay. And of course, this verse, there's two, two contexts that one can put to this verse. Uh, some scholars say this verse refers to a, a woman who wants to get married to a particular man. And this man has got all the good qualities that a person should look for. And there is what we call kafa'a. Kafa'a means there is suitability between the two. Mm. And so the father has got no real reason to object to such a marriage. 
but he's still objects anyway. Mm. So some scholars say this verse refers to that. You shouldn't object if you've got no reason to object. Because to the contrary, the hadith of the Prophet says, If somebody comes to your door and they want the hand of your daughter in marriage and they've got deen, they've got good religion and religious values and they also have good akhlaq, you know, they've got good character and you can see this or you've heard this or, or somebody have told you about it and you're convinced about it, then the Prophet says, marry them. Hmm. Don't stand in their way. Because if you stand in their way, you will be causing fitna on this earth. Because in any case, they will run away or they will do things that is unbecoming or they will commit haram, whatever the case is. So you don't want to be the cause of that. And of course, here yeah, I also need to say, yes, parents do sometimes have a right to in, to, in that case where a, a girl wants to get married to someone, where they can clearly see that the person is not suitable or they can clearly see this is not going to work out. And this is also real because sometimes a, a girl wants to get married, for example, with a person who is a drug addict. So any parent is not going to be happy to give off their daughter like that. So if they do it in that way and they've got legitimate reasons and legitimate excuses for not wanting to have their daughter get married to this person, then obviously that is something to be understood. But what the verse is referring to is if you've got no legitimate reason, but still you stand in their way, right? Don't do that. Allah says, لا تعضلوهن. Don't stop them. Hmm. And this is obviously the first uh, Context that we can bring to this ayah. There's a second context that the scholars also refer to, and this is in the sabab nuzul of the ayah, in the cause of revelation. Why was this ayah revealed in the first place? It was revealed in a different circumstance. And that is that a person by the name of Ma'akil ibn Yasar, his sister was married to someone, and he was now the guardian of his sister because their father was not alive. Hmm. And so his sister was divorced by her husband. And after the husband divorced her, and she obviously went into Idda and all of that, they kind of wanted to make up men. They wanted to get back together again. Hmm. And they had some agreement that they will change their, their ways in the future and stuff like that. But it seems that Ma'aqil ibn Yasar was not happy about this, and he stood in their way. He said, no, I'm not allowing my sister to get married to you a second time. Okay. Ya Allah says, la ta'aduluhun. Don't stop them if they want to remarry their husbands. After divorce even, don't stop them. Because after all, it's their life. They should choose what they want to do. And especially if there is even the slightest possibility that maybe the second time around they may make it successful, don't stand in their way as far as that is concerned. So this ayah is obviously relevant to our discussion for parents that uh, interfere in marriages of their children without due cause, Mm -hmm. without legitimate cause. Like I say, we have to make a distinction. Sometimes there is a due right for a parent to interfere. Let's say the daughter is being abused physically. No parent is going to just stand hands folded you know, and say, well, what must be, must be. A parent feels for his child. So he will do whatever it is to protect that child. And he's got all the right to do so. But what we are saying and the sense that we get from this question is that basically uh, the mother is interfering and there's no reason for her to interfere. And perhaps they want to make up, but they cannot because of this. So what we advise, our advice really is not for, the, for them, but for their parents rather to review the situation. And although we always take our parents' advice seriously, we don't want to hurt them or upset them, and we are very diplomatic and respectful when we speak to them, we never become arrogant, but at the same time, we should also make them understand that after all, the life that we are going to lead with our uh, spouses, it's our choice, mm-hmm. you know, and that is we, we will have to face the consequences. So that advice really goes more to the parents than 
to the uh, the woman involved yeah shukran sheikh uh, and the next one is not a question but rather just a comment requesting for sheikh's uh, contact number that is available at our reception during office hours on office hours on 021-442-3500. during office hours you can call and ask for sheikh ibrahim was's uh, contact number salam what do you do when you got a divorce and all your family relations judges you and speak ill about you shukran Yeah, what should you do? You should have patience and make dua that Allah makes it better, because that is life. You are going to always get people that are going to frown or that are going to say things. Mm. This is unfortunately how the human is. It's unfortunate, but this is how the human is. We are going to go through things where people are not going to understand your situation properly, or they're going to assess you wrongly. They're going to judge you wrongly. And I, I get uh, the question most probably comes from the fact that when a person gets divorced. Then automatically people think, "Now what's wrong with you? You know, what did you do? That's wrong. Mm. There must be something wrong with you." Not understanding that the person may have gone through tremendous difficulty, there must be, may, may have been tremendous, you know, strife and uh, obstacles that uh, did not allow them to be happy. So we should not be judgmental upon people. Um, and yes, uh, this is going to happen, but you should be strong. If you know that you got divorced and there was no other way for you out of this marriage. Remember, Allah made divorce halal for that purpose, because mm. Allah doesn't want you to remain in a marriage where you are going to stay unhappy. So that's why He allowed it. Now, although it is something which is, as the ulama explained to us, talaq in itself, divorce is makru, is disliked. But dislike does not mean it is haram. Dislike means it is discouraged. So you must take it as a last option. Mm. But if that option is taken, it's actually halal because Allah won't give you an option that is haram. So if it is this halal option of divorce that you have taken, you've done nothing wrong, and you've tried your best to reconcile, it didn't work. Uh, I think you should carry on with your life. Make du'a that Allah gives you sabr, and make du'a that Allah subhanahu wa taala also gives a bit more wisdom to your family hmm. that they don't judge you and stuff like that. And perhaps it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy for you to face all of these things all, uh, all at once. But inshallah, if you keep strong and you do what you have to do and you keep your integrity intact and you carry yourself as a decent human being forward, you will see Allah Ta'ala will replace you with much better. Amen. And Allah will give you the contentment and perhaps the happiness that eventually you are looking for, inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. Uh, let's take our last question before we break from Akhrib. My husband is abusive in every perspective. Um, n- not nafaka for about five years, no nafaka. I'm the only breadwinner. He uses drugs. He converted to Christianity again. The house is on auction. I have kids. Can I get a fasakh? Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any question to it that you can obviously separate. And in fact, the fact that you mentioned that he had gone to Christianity, that is sort of an automatic severance between the two of you because he'd become murtad now. And the moment a person becomes murtad, what would happen in such a case is from that moment when he became murtad, it is as if the woman goes into idda. She goes into a waiting period. And then what will happen from there onwards, we will obviously now try to ascertain what the husband's uh, future plans are. Is he planning to remain Christian? In other words, not to come back to Islam. Or is he planning to just rethink himself and perhaps come back? And if the idda period actually lapses, 
and he did not come back to Islam, hmm. then that means the idda is finished and you can carry on with your life. You don't need a official paper to say that you are divorced or whatever, although that will help for legal things. But in terms of your status as a married woman, hmm. yeah, obviously your your marriage would be null and void or it would be uh, severed hmm. between you and your husband if he converted to Christianity. Okay, And of course the other factors as well, let's say that did not happen, but the fact that he takes drugs, he doesn't give nafaka. If you go to any judiciary that uh, handles these types of matters, I'm sure they will find more than enough merit in order to grant you a fasakh. But of course they will investigate because this is your side of the story. They will obviously have to call in your husband and see is this the truth? Is this exactly how things happen? Mm. Uh, they will have counseling, etc. And in, in the event that all these things are proven to be true, I'm sure any judiciary will not hesitate to help you uh, get uh, out of this difficult situation that you are in. And we hope, inshallah, that that will become a reality for you to carry on with your life, inshallah. Inshallah, all the best to that uh, wife. We need to break for our maghrib uh, then. We'll be back after um, that and we continue with your SMSs on 47913. Back in a moment. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back. I'm Khawa Salaman and shukran so much for joining us and staying tuned. I, I believe there's quite a few people that even um, set the alarms to six o'clock on a Saturday evening to tune into the show. So shukran so much for being an ardent listener to continue listening to Voice of the Cape for, for great programs. We continue with your SMSs on 47913. Um, let's see how much we can cram into this last segment. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My Christian neighbor passed away. Can I attend his funeral and can I go to church? with the family as well yeah this is something which we are from time to time faced with and that is uh, obviously having either colleagues or friends or neighbors who are non-muslim and obviously we show our condolences and we go and we obviously sympathize with them that is the human thing to do and it's totally allowed to do that right as far as actually attending the funeral and going to the church and all of that all of that should be taken in light that you can do these things as long as you are not directly involved or participate in what they are doing, hmm. right? So if it is you're going to attend the funeral as such, you're not going to be prominently in front where they are doing whatever rituals they are doing and stuff like that, okay? This, this should not be done. But if you were to go there just to show your condolences, and if, even if you go to church for that matter, but you sit at the back, you don't really go there where they are in front doing whatever they are doing, hmm. as long as it does not seem that you are participating in what they are doing. But to show condolences, to absolutely uh, show your sympathy to them, this is something human. We have to do this. We have to show that uh, we respect people as human beings before mm. anything else. Even if they have different religions, there's no problem in that whatsoever. And to give you an example, one day the Prophet yes. was sitting in a gathering and uh, there came a janaza. Mm. And as the janaza came, the Prophet stood up. And then one of the Sahabis commented, he says, but he's a non-Muslim, you know, he's not a Muslim person, why are you standing mm. up? And the Prophet actually said to him, to, to this person who asked, is he not a human? You know, mm. said, Nafsan, isn't it a human being? In other words, shouldn't I still show respect simply because he's a human? Because mm. Allah says in the Quran, bani Adam. We had given honor to the children of Adam. Mm. You know, so these things uh, in our deen is very clear that we need to show our uh, humanity as far as these crises are concerned and difficulties are concerned in other people's lives. We should sympathize with them. We should support them in whatever way we can. And that is Islamically uh, acceptable and encouraged, inshallah. 
Shukran, Sheikh. I think this will be our last question, inshallah, for the segment. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My husband's work colleague died, age 65 years old. Now, his wife keeps sending us messages crying for food, saying she has nothing to eat. Is it okay for ke- to keep feeding her even if she is a non Muslim? Absolutely. I think this ties in with the previous question. There should be nothing that prevents you and stopping you from uh, helping this person, even mm-hmm. if she's non Muslim. Islam does not say we must only do good to Muslims. Right, we must especially, I think, do good to non-Muslims mm. because we want to show them what mm. our deen is all about. Yeah. Right, and if we look at many of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, actually he says clearly, you know, in one hadith, and this is amazing, when he came into Medina, the very first words that he shared with the public in Medina, he had like a gathering, and the very first words that he shared with them was, he said to them, nas, O people, afshu salam, spread peace as far as you can, wa ta'am." And feed the poor as far as you can. Wasilul arham and try to always join family ties. Wasallu bil niyam and make salah at night when people are sleeping. Tadhulul jannah bi salam. You will enter the jannah with safety and security and bliss. Allah will allow you to enter paradise. Look at these beautiful words of the Prophet He says, "Spread peace and feed the poor." Mm. Notice here, he didn't say feed the Muslims. ta'am. Feed the poor. Mm. So if you help a poor person regardless of his religion or his culture or his background, the fact that you are giving him something to eat, this is again uh, something human and something recommended and something commendable. So this woman, inshallah, what you should do is you try to assist her as far as you can and as long as you can and don't tire because ultimately you still get the reward of helping someone. You still get the thawab and the uh, barakah from Allah Ta'ala for helping a person in need, especially if it is an old person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just want to end off by saying that one day Sina Omar was walking in the streets of Medina and he actually saw a Jewish man who was very old. Mm-hmm. But you could clearly see that this man is in need and is poor and all of that, you know. And he felt very sorry for this man. And this made him so much uh, in a state where he actually said to those working in the Baytul Mal that from now onwards the decree is that each person who lives under our state, even if he be a, a non-Muslim, he will receive a stipend from the Baytul Mal mm-hmm. to make sure that they can survive sure. like a pension at least they are able to live uh, comfortably mm-hmm. and this shows that our goodness is not confined to our kind only but it also goes to beyond that any person any human being should deserve our care and our concern inshallah all the best uh, to everyone that has uh, found themselves in a time of loss and uh, in difficulty Sheikh we have to unfortunately leave it there Khair for your time once again and um, for everyone who's listening as well I mean, inshallah, jazakumullah khairan to you also, Sister Hawa. And may Allah Ta'ala give us everything of the very best from now until next week when we meet again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, definitely. Jazakumullah khair once again to Sheikh Ibrahim Mers, who's based out in Weinberg. And remember, if you want to get his contact number, Sheikh's number is at our reception desk during office hours on 021-442-35500. From myself, Hawa Salon, be safe wherever you are. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And a very good evening.